The reading this morning is from Psalm 132, and if you're using a church Bible, it's on page 625. Psalm 132, titled, A Song of Ascents. O Lord, remember David and all the hardships he endured. He swore an oath to the Lord and made a vow to the mighty one of Jacob. I will not enter my house or go to my bed. I will allow no sleep to my eyes, no slumber to my eyelids, until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling for the mighty one of Jacob. We heard it in Ephrathah. We came upon it in the fields of Jar. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, and come to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. May your priests be clothed with righteousness. May your saints sing for joy. For the sake of David, your servant, do not reject your anointed one. The Lord swore an oath to David, a sure oath that he will not revoke. One of your descendants I will place on your throne, if your sons keep my covenant and the statutes I teach them, then their sons shall sit on your throne forever and ever. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever and ever. Here I will sit enthroned, for I have desired it. I will bless her with abundant provisions her poor I will satisfy with food. I will clothe her priests with salvation, and her saints shall ever sing for joy. Here I will make a horn grow for David and set up a lamp for my anointed one. I will clothe his enemies with shame, but the crown on his head shall be resplendent. Lord, may the, the words of my mouth the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you. Have your way with us, Father, we ask. May these words, which are life, come alive to us. May they be breathed of life into us. May your will be done. In the name of Christ, amen. Amen. <coughs> you put the first one on, Andrew? Yeah. Oh, oh. oh there we go. So, um... We are going through the songs of ascent, which are like the playlist for people coming to worship. They were used uh, for the worshippers coming to one of the three great feasts in Israel and Jerusalem. And they would be sung time after time after time, at certain times, at certain places, to ready people for worship. They are uh, a song playlist for us for us to reflect on, for us to learn from, for us to be obedient in. And so we've been going through it, and now we're at Psalm 132, uh, just a couple more to go. And when I first read Psalm 132, I was like, what, what is going on here? Um, I found that there was, there's difficult names. Well done, Ian, for your pronunciation there. Uh, I, th I thought it was really good. Um, not with Jar, but with uh, Ephrathath or whatever it is. So well done. But there's... there's there's some historical things going on here, but what exactly? And 
The more I read about it, the more I reflected, the more I listened to people, I could see something was going on here. Remember, this is a psalm to be used for worship, so it shouldn't be cryptic, but yet, Psalm 132 is talking about historical facts, things that have happened in God's people's history, but it isn't a full history of what has happened in God's people's history. It's a glimpse. There's a glimpse for us, for our memories to be ignited once again. Now that's difficult if you don't know the history of, say, the Old Testament or the New Testament, for, for, for here, for the Old Testament. And we are going to go into a little bit of that. Because when I first read it, and I came to verse 1 where it says, O Lord, remember David and all the hardships he endured. I thought, what hardships? What is, that's important. Right at the beginning of the psalm, what is the psalmist saying? And what have we to learn from the hardships that David endured? And in reading, we're going to come across the tent of meeting, the, the Ark of the Covenant, the Tent of Meeting, the Temple, God's promises that he has made today. That's what we're going to come across. Uh, and this psalm, which I think is a good one to call the obedient psalm. So we're going to come across the theme of obedience uh, here. I want you to open to 2 Samuel chapter 5. No, chapter 7. If you've got your Bibles, let me hear that sound. Or if you've got your screens, swipe away. 2 Samuel chapter 7. Because the hardships that have happened to David, a lot of them have happened before this point in history. Think, for instance... I don't know if it was much of a hardship, but David went before Goliath. David was, before that, called out amongst all of his brothers, anointed by the prophet. David then uh, became uh, an instrument, played an instrument in front of King Saul. I think I'm right, at least two occasions, at certainly the same time, Saul tried to kill him with a, was maybe a spear and he missed him twice. But uh, great things David did in war and Saul the king did okay things and so people would sing songs about David that really embarrassed Saul and so King Saul became David's enemy and this really was a hard thing for David to take because you'll know as you're in the potted history if we are remembering glimpses of history that David ran away from Saul and a number of times he could have killed Saul but he didn't because Saul was still God's anointed king and David really honoured that. And you'll know how David had a great relationship with Jonathan. They were so uh, together as one, they had the same heart. And so when Jonathan died, that was difficult for David. And even you would think when Saul died that David might rejoice, but David lamented greatly over the, the death of King Saul, even though it meant that he was going to succeed him onto the throne. So these are some of the glimpses of the hardship that David went through. As I think the writer of Psalm 132, the pilgrim in Psalm 132 says, Remember David, O Lord, and all the hardships he endured. How he came against the Philistines 
and how he was successful. Sometimes he had to stay with the Philistines, but he was successful. So successful that the 12 tribes of Israel were united under the leadership of King David, the 10 tribes to the, the north and the two tribes in the south. This was the heyday of Israel. These were the glory, glory days. Jerusalem, David conquered and its peoples. And David made it the, the religious and the political center of Israel. This was its heyday. This was Israel. The Ark of the Covenant, David tried to bring it back. And on the second occasion, he did manage to bring it back into Jerusalem. Again, solidifying his kingship, solidifying Israel as the political and the uh, religious center of all life in Israel. Because the Ark of the Covenant symbolized God's presence. Saul had used the Ark almost like voodoo, some sort of um, trickery or, or amulet, and, and it went bad, so the Lord allowed the Ark to be captured. But David didn't see it that way. It was a pre the symbol of God's presence with Israel. And so now, in Jerusalem, it's at the center. And I found it very interesting in two chap uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 1. This is the words that started. After the king was settled in his palace, and the Lord gave him rest from all his enemies around him. He was settled. It was almost done. He looked around. There was no more need to go and fight battles. Um, all the battles had been won. The Lord had been faithful to his promise. David had been obedient. F not flawless. Don't morally look at David's life and say, I want it to be like David. Theologically look at how God has worked through David's life and then see what God's character is like. Don't look at David and Samuel and Solomon and Abraham and Jacob from a moral point of view because these characters were unbelievably flawed. But theologically, through the lens of Scripture, through the lens of the Holy Spirit, look at how God dealt with these people and you'll see grace upon grace upon grace. And here we can see God's grace. David is settled. It's all been done. And it's, he's, he's sitting there having his peeled grapes, enjoying life in all of its fullness. Verse 2, he said to Nathan the prophet, here I am living in a palace of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. You know that? How uh, the presence of the Lord which came in Sinai um, descended into the ark of the covenant which is very specifically built for it. Um, there was other artifacts in this Ark of the Covenant and in the 40 years of wilderness wherever uh, the, the, either the pillar of smoke or, the, or fire moved, then that's when God's people would move. And when they camped day and night or for however long it was when they camped in those wandering years, there was a very specific um, system of how the people were to surround themselves around the presence of God Three tribes to the north, three tribes to the south, three tribes to the east, three tribes to the west. Moses and Aaron and the Levites in the center, but still surrounded, uh, surrounding the presence of God. So, we've not set our church up like that because we are temples of the Holy Spirit. 
But you see then, before the Spirit was given at Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit was symbolized in the presence of the Ark of the Covenant, God's people surrounded themselves. They obeyed God of even how they were to camp so that all the people were formed around in worship and obedience around the Lord. This is what's happened. And now the presence of the Lord is in, the, uh, is in a tent, but in Jerusalem. And David thinks, why am I sitting in all of this glory and splendor when the Lord is still in a tent? Now that all the battles have been done, now that we are secure and we've got all this money, let's do something about it. And Nathan replied to the king in verse 3, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. Surely the next step then, if Nathan the prophet has says, go for it. And remember, you go to the prophet to know what you're to do. God has spoken. Let's change that to us. God has spoken to us. We know that what we are called to as a teenager, I often ask myself, what is the Lord calling me to? And yes, there are specific things in life that God calls us to. But we as a people know. There's no, um, there should be no surprises that we are called to worship the Lord the God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. There is no surprise that we are called to be holy as he is holy, set apart but still in our communities, in our families that don't know the Lord. You read uh, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, we know how we are to behave, to deal with others, to walk in grace. We know, but back then, even though there were certain things that David knew what God was calling him to, he held on to the promises, he would still go to Nathan, the prophet, and say, what should I do? Do you know what I thought when, when I just pondered that? Oh, where is my Nathan? Where is my prophet that I can go to? And then I had to catch myself thinking, that would be just too easy for me. Because it would then, I'm not speaking in behalf of David here, I'm speaking on behalf of myself, then I would just always have to go to my prophet and say, what should I do today? What should I do about this decision? Before the, the, the worship we, uh, began, we had a difficult, just a wee a nonsense thing that happened but it was just too much for one or two of us and it was, it was nothing it was not meant to harm anyone it was just five or four or five people coming together from all sorts of walks of life with expectations and boom what, are, what were we to do in that situation fall out with one another hold a grudge against one another did I need to go to my prophet and say what am I to do no I know what I'm to do Love as Jesus has loved you. Forgive as you have been forgiven. Keep a short account with one another. Listen, I'm not speaking chapter and verse of scripture, but you know I'm speaking biblically here. So we may not have our prophets. Some that we can go to, I need to make this big decision, what should I do? But we are temples of the Holy Spirit. God has illuminated the word of God Jesus is our author and example of the first fruits of the new the resurrection. We know what we are to do. And the question, therefore, and I'm miles away from my notes, but that's okay. The question, therefore, that comes to my mind is this. Are you going to be obedient? 
Nathan went away. We won't read it all because I've taken too much time already. But from verse 4, um, Nathan goes away and the Lord speaks to him. And the Lord basically says, David is not to build this temple. Chapter 7, verse 4 onwards. He's not to do it. And there's all sorts of reasons why he's not to do it. But here's what I will do to, for David. And he speaks of um, someone in David's uh, uh, family line being on the throne forever. It's an incredible promise. But you need to remember, David's idea, which was a good idea, because Nathan the prophet says so at one point, David's idea was, I'm going to build a temple for the Lord. And it is a good thing. The Lord steps in and says, it might be good, but it's not right. And as I read Nathan's account, I thought to myself, Nathan quite easily could just do a Jonah here. You know what I mean by that? I'm giving you a glimpse of something you already know. Just like Psalm 132 does. God spoke to Jonah, go to Nineveh, who were a, a sinful people, and tell them to turn from their wicked ways. And Jonah goes the opposite way because he knows, and it's in that whole story, that God... It's compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And they will repent. And there was something that is in his heart he didn't want that to happen. Or he didn't want the shame of that to happen. So he ran the opposite way. And he came back. The Lord pursued him. He came back. And it was true. He, he gave that word to the... Am I right in saying that? The Ninevites? Yeah. Ninevites? Yeah, I'm right. Sorry. And uh, it's a great story for us to learn from. Nathan could have done that. He'd already said to the king, go ahead. But now, in his dreams or in a vision, God says no. And so he goes. And if I'm right in saying, it's verse 17. Nathan reported to David all the words of his entire revelation. And then from verse 18 through to 26 we see David's response. And I think we get a glimpse of why David is called a man after God's own heart. David didn't throw his toys out his pram. He didn't sulk. He didn't stall. Am I right in saying this? Yeah. Verse 18 of 2 Samuel chapter 7 sees David's response after this disappointing news. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord. Has God spoken to you specifically about a certain thing? And what's your response to that? Let me add in another layer. Is there something that you want to do, whether in life or in ministry or in lifestyle? And it seems good. You've set your heart on it, which is very important. Because when you set your heart on something, time, energy, um, all that sort of thing. If you want to have a better lifestyle, be fitter, be thinner, then you're going to go into a regime and you're going to stick to that. If you really want it, you set your heart on it. Until a point where you're happy. What if God comes along and says, you might think it's good, but it's not right. I don't know how I'm going to respond to that. In fact, I know God has been, I know I've been seeking the Lord for something in particular over the last six months. And I still am not 100% sure what the Lord is saying. 
But all too often, I've sulked. I've went for counsel with people and I've not liked the counsel that they've given me. I went to them as a Nathan, the prophet, as almost to say, what should I do? What should I do? What should I do? And they've said, you'll know God's heart when you know God's heart. And that is not the response I wanted. I wanted them to say, well, last night I had a dream. <laughs> and this is what the Lord says, no, but this is what's going to happen. But that's not happened. And a lot of the time I've sulked. And a lot of time I've been quiet. But there's been other times I've groaned before the Lord. Not use lots of words, I've just groaned, Lord, where, what should I do? What should I do? What should I do? David went before the Lord. This is an example of us. Sit before the Lord, no matter how long it takes in obedience. Psalm 132, as we're going to see briefly in a second, does speak a lot about that. God says no. David changed gears. And he followed God's instructions, although it led in different places than what David already had in his mind. And like building a temple of the Lord, we see in Psalm 132, uh, verse 5, a dwelling place for the mighty God of Jacob was his desire, and God says no. What we're seeing here in this example of, what was it said again? Um, oh Lord, remember David and all the hardships he endured. This is one of them. He had his heart set in something. It seemed good. The Lord says no. What was his response going to be? He went before the Lord. And as you see, he was obedient. If, God, if he fully, if he lived his life through Nathan the prophet, then he would just sit at Nathan's feet. But he didn't. He was a man after God's own heart. He had a rhythm of worship. Not just a Sunday thing. He had a rhythm of worship. It affected his finances. It affected... Um, <laughs> I was going to say what he watched on the TV, but he didn't have them. You know what I'm getting at? It was a whole life thing. He had a relationship. And his obedience flowed from relationship with God. Oh, I did see all of that. That's great. <laughs> I did see all that. Good. <laughs> so I think Psalm 132 looks back. I think the first section of Psalm 132 looks back at moments of history. So as the pilgrim is making his way to Jerusalem, or her way to Jerusalem, and is singing these songs, remember David, Lord, and all the hardships he endured, the Most High. Maybe they paused for a moment. And maybe they took stock of just David's life. And it came out in some sort of form of worship with them. It made a difference in their life. They thought about it. They let the truth ruminate. And there was something that came out. Hopefully obedience. Hopefully by looking at David's life. They themselves were inspired. Desired that life. And put certain things in place to follow. Not in David's footsteps. But along well trodden paths. I may say this later on. But I'm going to say it now. We don't have to guess stab in the dark at what the Lord is telling us to do we you know that idea of standing on the shoulders of giants we follow in well trodden paths there are many disciples of Jesus Christ who went through the things that we are going through some may be alive today 
And that's where good godly counsel comes in. But others may have passed. And you may read about them in biographies. And you may come across. And you're seeing a life of obedient worship. So, although God is always doing a new thing, he never changes. Maybe new expressions, but it's of something that already is there. Have I changed? So, Psalm 132 recalls history. It doesn't retell it bit by bit. It recalls it so that our memories will be triggered. It helps us look back. Here's a time of history. But here's what I see. I see David's life, and it's a swashbuckling life. And then I see the Lord speaking into that. Verse 11. The Lord swore an oath to David, a sure oath that he will not revoke. One of your descendants I will place in your throne. If your sons keep my covenant, obedience, and the statues I teach them, then their sons shall sit in your throne forever and ever. I think that's great, but I think David's adventurous life is beyond me. I will not live the same experiences, many of the same experiences of David. I don't want to have an affair. See, I'm not going to look at his life morally and think I need to be like him. But I'm going to look at David's life and think, what's God doing in David's life? What can I learn from this man of God who was not perfect but did have a heart that was for God. I can look at David's heart. And here is David's heart. Verse 3. I will not enter my house or go to my bed. I will allow no sleep to my eyes, no slumber to my eyelids, till I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. This is David's heart. I want the best for God. I don't want to have all the fine things and only give God a little portion of my life. I want the best for the God Most High. The best for the mighty one of Jacob. This is David's heart. And I can have a similar heart as I look. I can have that heart that is down in scripture that we know. To love the Lord your God in Deuteronomy. With all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength. So as I look back through the, the glimpses of history in Psalm 132, uh, I'm asking myself, do I have David's heart? As I remember all of that we've just read in 2 Samuel chapter 7, and you can read more from 5 through to 7. Do I have David's heart? Do I desire intimacy with the Lord above all things? Is my worship marked by obedience? I'm going to pause you with that for a second. Why ask the question if I don't allow you a second to even ponder that? Do I have David's heart? Do I desire intimacy with the Lord above all things? Is my worship marked by obedience? Lord, if I don't, would you have your way? Would you have your way in my heart and the things that I desire and the things that I want so much? Above all things, even something in the future, may I just set my heart in you and your ways and seeking you and knowing you and knowing that still small voice and knowing that prompting of the Holy Spirit. May I just know because I know because I know. And Lord, if I make mistakes in that, if any of us made mistakes in that, I pray you still look on as kindly as someone who sought you and maybe heard wrong, 
but did so with the best of intentions to honour you. Father, I pray in Jesus' name. But we also see a looking forward. Eugene Peterson, and I'm following a lot of Eugene Peterson's book, along, along obedience in the same direction. Eugene says this, obedience is not a story plodding in the ruts of religion back there. It is a hopeful race towards God promises, God's promises. See that? So, so we don't just read, that says this word moral, we don't just read what David does and thinks I need to do what David did and I need to somehow bring that, whatever century it was, BC, into my life. It's not like that. But it's actually obedience is a hopeful race towards God's promises because God has promised to do a new thing today in our lives. Wherever our church families may be, God's promised to be with us and to do things there. And yeah. And so this is what else I see in Psalm 132 very briefly. I see a future where God will be at the centre of worship. And you see, verses 13 through to 18 deal with blessings of looking forward, but they also deal with memories of the past. Ah, put it all up there, yeah. So in verse 15, if you just glance at it, I'll briefly read it. I will bless her with abundant provisions. Her poor will I satisfy with food. I, in my memory banks, I'm going back to the wilderness of how God provided when the God's people really had nothing. And that's the past that I can see in there. But there is also an expectation. This is all future tense. I, I see a hope for abundant eternal provision. I see a God's provision being as full today as it was in David's time, as it was for the people of Israel walking in the desert. I don't see us getting the scraps under the table. In verse 16, there's still that past and future thing in there. I will clothe her priests with salvation. And now you can see that. The priests who represented worship in the temple of all God's people with all the different things to do with the robes that symbolized the chief priests, symbolized all the 12 tribes and the amulet, etc. and stuff like that, the plate, breastplate. We see a memory coming to our mind there, but it's also speaking of a future joy. A joy that we saw in Pentecost Sunday, or even the first Sunday, where the Holy Spirit descended upon all those believers in the upper room, and they couldn't stop speaking about the wonders of God, that all of those different nationalities heard God's word spoken to them in their own language. And that same Pentecost spirit is alive and well today. He is the Holy Spirit. And he desires that joy to just come out and burst out in all sorts of situations. Wouldn't it be quite freaky if you were standing, if you take the bus, if you were standing at a bus stop one day and you just felt a song coming into your heart and you just sing it. And you do not give two monkeys who are standing beside you. Um, it's a prayer-soaked Lyric, as we sang earlier on. We don't care who hears it. That's joy. Wouldn't it be quite wonderful walking down Arthur Road and you're hearing, shine, Jesus, shine. And you're like, what the heck? And then you see Beryl Shaw around the corner having a wee worship time. Or whoever it may be. That's great. Um, so, this past and this future. Uh, verse 17. Uh, Here I will make a horn uh, grow for David, kingship, and I will set a lamp for my anointed one past, David's kingship. He, he is a light to us in many respects, his life and walking with the Lord as a man after God's own heart. 
But we're seeing the fulfillment in Christ Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords, the light of the world. That's what we're seeing. I see that here anyway. And then in verse 18, just to finish with, I will clothe his enemies with shame. You can look back at David's life and see all of that, but put the crown on his head, uh, but the crown on his head shall be resplendent. Never was Israel so happy than during the time of David. The borders were secure. It was its maximum. From then onwards, it was, you know, Solomon was a great king and, and known throughout the world. But, but, but at that time, Jerusalem, worship around the Lord, that was it. It was incredible. But the triumph will be complete when Jesus returns to judge the living and the dead and to renew things the way he intended it to be. So finally, so what? Well, here's a great wee thing from Eugene Peterson. I'm going to leave it up there, but I'm not going to speak about it because there's not enough time. Psalm 132 cultivates a hope that gives wings to obedience. I see, what's that can again? I get? What's that drink? Wings. Red Bull. I just see, I, I've got Red Bull in my mind when I read that. It cultivates a hope that gives Red Bull wings to obedience. A hope that's consistent with the reality of what God has done in the past, but not confined to it. All the expectations listed in Psalm 132 have their origin in an actual, accurately remembered past, but they are not simply reputations of the past projected into the future. They are developments with it, with new features of their own. Have a good day at work. So it's one of the oldest Psalms. For me, it centers around, yes, worship, but obedience and worship. And our response to that. I think it shows obedience as a lively, adventurous response of faith that is rooted in historical fact, but also reaches into a promise in the future. So therefore, I conclude by just saying, as disciples of Jesus, we're not called to return back to the good old days, even if those good old days were just post or pre-COVID. We are not called back to those days. The past is gone, and it's actually a rich field that we plough, harrow, plant, and fertilise for the work of the harvest. That's what we do with the past. It's not forsaken. There's things that we can build on and grow from it. And as disciples of Jesus, we're pilgrims who move forward with the Lord into the future he has prepared for us. If we don't do that, if we settle in our ways, if we just think this is it, there's nothing vibrant about that. I would think all we are then are statues Statues to be looked at. Um, memorials to be considered. Monuments and galleries to be visited by tourists who want to learn what happened in the past. That is not our call. The Spirit is active and moving. Are we allowing the Holy Spirit to drive us in all areas of our life? The answer can be no. That's a good place to start. That's reflection. Now what comes is repentance. Maybe as a, a church, maybe as Pitlockery Baptist Church, and whatever church family you belong to, maybe as a church as a whole, maybe God's will be done.
Shall we just pause for a moment? We're going to sing, crown him with many crowns in a moment to finish with. But let's just pause some of those thoughts racing through our mind. I don't mean it to be theatre, but if you need to, and if you're able to, you can kneel. But it's not theatre, it's for no one else. But if you find kneeling difficult, may you just bow before the Lord. In however way you can bow before the Lord. Father, I don't want to be a disobedient child who misses your blessings. You'll always be good to us. But my desire, and I'm sure our desire, is that we be in sync with your Holy Spirit. If we do not seek you, may we seek you as David sought you. Thank you. We can see the richness of your blessing that you pronounced in David's life. Help us, Lord, to reflect and, if need be, to repent. But help us to trust in you that you are the same God of David as you are the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and you are our God. I pray that that would give us confidence to trust you for the days ahead. May Jesus be the centre of the church in our nation. And everything that he has said, may they be words of life and held on to. Forgive us, Lord, if when, not if, forgive us, Lord, when we um, compromise. For your glory, for the building of your church, and for many souls that are lost at this point who will come to know uh, Jesus as Lord and Saviour in the future. We pray, Lord, for, you, for all of that. May your will be done. May your kingdom come. In Jesus' name, amen.